So today we are talking about hope. And it's not just because it happens to be the week for hope in Advent. We do hope, love, joy, peace, and then Christ. That's our Advent. So these candles are hope, love, joy, peace, and then Jesus Christ on Christmas Eve as we celebrate his coming. Um, But the passage of scripture that we read in our Mission 119 readings as we read through the Bible together was really about, largely about, our hope in Christ, our living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. I found something in the scriptures that I'd never really considered before this week. Uh, we, we read in, in Romans uh, 13, at the end of the famous love passage, um, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that is absolutely true and good. Uh, but then we read in Colossians, this really interesting, uh, this little interesting term. I had marked and I lost it, sorry. Colossians 1, 5. So we know the greatest of those three, faith, hope, and love, is love. Colossians 1, 5 says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So we know that love is the greatest of that triad, but Colossians says that faith and love spring from hope. Isn't that interesting? I had never really thought about that before. But... I do. You know, I, I just take longer to find the past just to make you feel better about knowing how to get in your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really had a hard time there. Um, interesting thing about hope is that when people lose hope, they often lose faith and love. I, I actually do, I make it my business because I'm interested for some reason, I'm very interested in why people, in people that end up leaving the faith. So they either grew up in the church or they uh, became Christians later in life. But many times, from the stories and accounts I've read, people end up losing their faith in Jesus when a situation presents itself unlike any other situation they've ever encountered and it causes them to lose hope. So, for instance, a Christian person commits adultery in their marriage against their spouse um, and then their sp- they, they want to reconcile to their spouse, but their spouse refuses to have them back, which is a devastation, a huge devastation. And the Christian spouse who committed this sin against their spouse loses hope that things can be restored because their spouse won't have them back. And then they lose their faith. All of a sudden, they're not identifying as a Christian anymore. Um, people that are very, can be very strong Christians, and then they come, come into contact with something as simple as not being able to find community. They move to a new area of the country or new, a new place. They don't know anybody. They try to find Christian community. They can't really find it. They begin to feel hopeless and alone and isolated. They lose their faith. 
our enemy, our adversary, loves to make people come to a place of hopelessness. Because he knows that faith and love spring from hope. And the greatest is love. You know, you, your, your heart grows cold towards God, towards other people. So hope is a, is a very potent force. And so the greatest of these is love, but hope is incredibly important because faith and love spring from hope. I read a couple articles this week about hope from a psychology journal. It says One of these quotes says, The tiny ripple of hope that you set in motion can change the path of someone's life. So I don't know if you've ever been uh, in, a ho- in a hopeless feeling situation and someone gives you a reason to hope. And it just works its way into you to the point that you are able to go forward, have the strength to go forward. The tiny ripple of hope you set in motion can change the path of someone's life. Here's another, another quote. Hope structures, hope structures your life in anticipation of the future and influences how you feel in the present. Similar to optimism, hope creates a positive mood about an, ex- an expectation, a goal, or a future situation. Such mental time travel influences your state of mind and alters your behavior in the present. The positive feelings you experience as you look ahead, imagining hopefully what might happen, what you will attain, or who you are going to be, can alter how you currently view yourself. Along with hope comes your prediction that you will be happy, and this can have behavioral consequences. In other words, having hope can change the, way you, the actual way you live your life. So you might not have the goal that you want, but if you have hope that you're going to get to that goal, it can actually change your behavior you know, years, months, you know, decades before you actually achieve that thing which you hoped for. It's an amazingly powerful and potent motivating force that the Bible recognizes and also um, secular non-Christian scientific research verifies. Hope is something God has put into his very creation and when hope is lost many times, a lot of other things are lost as well. So that's, that's the psychology journal kind of reflections on hope, which I think are pretty close to what I would say are, that's a truth about hope. But the way that we use the word hope in our culture is even more divorced from what the Bible talks about uh, in terms of what hope is. The New Testament, the Old Testament, define hope far differently than our culture. We say, we sure hope there isn't traffic, right? But there might be traffic, and then your hopes are gone, your hopes are lost. Oh, I'd hope there wouldn't be traffic, but there was traffic. In upstate New York, we hope it doesn't snow too much, but it will. <clears throat> we hope everyone has a good time when we get people together and we're responsible for a party. I'm sorry to say, sometimes people don't have a good time at your party. My party is yes, and your party is I don't know. <laughs> Here's another completely different example. We hope it doesn't snow too much this winter, but it will. That's oh, I said that one, sorry. I I repeat that one because that's a big one for all of us this time of year. Here's one that's a little more serious. We hope there's nothing wrong, really wrong with us. When we start to go to Dr. Google, I have a strange itch on my left pinky toe. And then Google tells you, well, clearly you're going to die. I sure hope there's nothing wrong with me. Although that's a legitimate kind kind of concern sometimes. And we also hope that the people we love won't have to endure hardship and sickness or relational problems. You know, how devastating is it when people you love go through those kinds of things? We hope, we hope for that. But they might. Nonetheless, they might. 
you know, we, we, we hope for many things. We, we talk about um, desiring certain outcomes. But when the Bible talks about hope, this is a really solid thing. It's not talking about something that we wish in our minds would happen. When the Bible talks about hope, the Bible speaks about assured certainty of what God has promised to do. Our hope in Christ. So if we let the flimsy nature of our word hope and how we define that uh, in everyday speech come into this idea of our hope being in Christ, we might begin to start thinking, well, hopefully um, I'll be saved uh, based on Jesus, but you know, who knows? That's not what the Bible says. It says we have a sure and certain hope in Jesus, that it's unchanging, unwavering. When we begin to world to, to hope uh, the way that the world hopes in regard to our relationship with God, the casualties become faith and love. When we begin to have that wavering sense that I'm not sure if God's going to come through, we start, our hearts can start to grow cold and our faith can start to wane. But when we come into this idea of hope, being assured certainty of what God said that he would do, it changes our entire trajectory in life. In fact, from that place of hope come faith and love. And I would add joy. A joy in life. Because God has promised something and what he has said will not be rescinded. It will not be taken away. That's the hope we have in Jesus. We're going to look at this concept in 1 Peter, as I said, 1, 3 to 9. We're just going to read through this together. It says, Praise be to God and Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's a sure hope. There's an inheritance that can never hope never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage talks about something called the living hope we have in Jesus. In verse 3, and this living hope in Jesus makes us react to our lives, react to suffering differently than someone who doesn't have it. Though we do not see him, we love him. Even though we do not see him now, we believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy, even in the midst of suffering, because we are receiving the end result of our faith, the hope of the salvation of our souls in the present moment. It's living, the hope is living, because Peter says, the resurrected Christ, who death could not keep down, is the first fruit of our hope. Think about that. Uh, to put it in terms that maybe we can kind of come to, come to grips with a little better, suppose that a doctor and, and, and a group of scientists developed a way 
for any kind of disease that we might have to be cured. Like there's definitely a cure for any disease that we could have. And this magical cure can also regrow broken body parts and restore internal organs to their full working condition. We have nothing to fear because there's this, there's this contraption, there's a scientific achievement that allows us to be completely restored no matter what could happen to us. This hope we have in Jesus is kind of like that. Jesus was dead. Not just spiritually speaking, but physically he was dead. He was buried in the ground for three days and he rose from the dead. And the basis of our hope in Jesus is that he rose from the dead. And it says that he's the first fruits of the resurrection and that like Jesus, those of us who align ourselves with Christ will also rise from the dead. The living hope we have in Christ is in the power of his resurrection. That's something like the hope we have in Christ. So if you can think of anything short of being dead for three days is within the realm of hoping in God. It's a living hope. It's a resur- hope in the resurrected Christ that we have. That's some of the hope we have. In verse 4 it says, we have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, kept for us in heaven by God. We have been given an inheritance already in heaven, the Bible says, that cannot be earned or lost. It's completely safe and sound. And to bring that into our lives today, to imagine that you found an investment opportunity where you put $10 in and then the next week you have $100. Then you put that $100 in and the next week you have $1,000 and so on and so forth. You'd begin to have great hope in your life because you'd think to yourself, I will be able to pay for all of my kids to go to college. I'll be able to pay off my mortgage. I'll be able to, to do, fund anything I'd like to, to fund with this money. We have this inheritance in heaven with Jesus that can never spoil or fade kept by God. That's a hope that we have, an anchor point in the future. So not only do we have a hope in resurrection, that literally nothing can actually kill us because we, are, we will be resurrected uh, and be with Christ when we die, that even if, even if sickness can have a temporary victory over us, that we are, going to, we are going to rise again in Christ, we also have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, kept by God. The end, uh, the end hope of our life is not the money that we have and the wealth that we have, but the wealth that God has for us, waiting for us, protected by him. You know, the next point is much more uh, significant for me, at least. It says in verse 5, in verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's saying that we, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that we will receive. You know, some of us need to hear this, that we, are in, we who are in Christ are shielded and protected by God so that we will not falter and lose our faith and not be able to persevere through life. God, whether you realize it or not, is shielding you and protecting you right now uh, from, from the discouragement that leads to losing your faith. Um, you're shielded by God's power. God is giving us the strength to persevere, and God is behind the scenes sustaining us so that we do not fall away from him. And for everyone that's truly a follower of God, I believe God gives, gives this protection and this power that we, everything might feel like it's falling apart, but God is, God is shielding us, God is covering us, God is sustaining us. He's, he's behind us. In verse 5, it also says, our salvation is ready to be revealed. This is a really cool thing. We, we think about uh, 
Christmas cookies, they're not always ready to be eaten. They, they have to cook. But God's salvation is ready for us right now, at a moment's notice. Salvation in the present, salvation in the future. There will be a time when we stand before God, and we have to give an account for how we lived our lives. And we, can, we who believe in Christ can say, I look to Christ for the righteousness that I could never earn for myself. And I, and I believe on his name for salvation. And I've lived my life trying imperfectly to respond to that grace which he's been given. But fundamentally, I need that grace to be saved. That salvation is sure. It's not going to go away. It's ready to be revealed. And then, in verse 7, it says, These have, the, the trials have come, the suffering and all kinds of grief have come, so that they can prove the genuineness of our, of our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our faith is intended to be proven by our difficulties in life, not lost. If you are suffering today, if you're going through difficult times, God has not forsaken you. God is shielding you, and God is allowing these circumstances in your life to prove the trueness of the faith that you already have. If you look at life, Rob Reimer says, uh, he, he always used to ask God the question, why? Now, why, God? Why is this happening? Why did I lose my job? Why am I having these difficulties in my marriage? Why am I, you know, struggling in school? And he said, God never promised to answer that why question. But God promises to answer the question of how. How are you using this in my life to test me, to prove me, and to make me into the image of Jesus Christ? That's what God says he'll do. If we, if we face trials of many kinds, the Bible encourages us to ask God for wisdom. And he will give us wisdom in regard to our trials. So this is, this is the great encouragement. Our faith is intended to be proven, to be strengthened, to be refined by the difficulties we face in life not lost. So if you are facing great difficulties right now in your faith, in your life, begin to ask God, how are you using this in my life? If you're a real follower of Jesus, you really want to come to know God, ask him how he's using it to make you into the image of Christ or to change things in your life or just to glorify himself. There's a really interesting passage in, in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. This is now a common cultural expression that you've probably heard. This guy works a real thorn in my flesh or whatever, right? Uh, well, Paul had some kind of unidentified issue that he brought before the Lord. And people have speculated about what that issue could be. Pretty much people always think it's whatever they're currently struggling with. So that's what we do. Uh, but he had this issue, and it really, he really felt that it hindered him. And so he went to God with it. He said, take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And... Uh, God said, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. So this thing didn't end up getting taken away from Paul, but God was is testing Paul and showing that his grace was sufficient for Paul and ultimately proving, refining Paul through having this thorn in his flesh. It's about the glory of God. And God answered him when he asked the how, the how question. In John 9, there was a, a blind man brought to Jesus and everyone in that culture thought, well, if you're, if you're blind or sick or all these different things, you must have done something wrong or someone else did something wrong. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not this man's 
fault that he's blind. It's not his parents' fault. It's no one's fault. It was meant to glorify God as I heal this guy. And so, uh, there's a lot of things in life that just seem senseless. You know? But even through those things, God is glorifying Jesus and God is refining us and making us into the image of his son. I loved... uh, Pastor Soper in our readings brought up this idea that God is a, uh, a refiner. He talks about the refiner's fire in the Bible. And the idea is that you take a precious metal like gold and you boil it and all the impurities come to the top and you skim off the impurities and you continue this process until you can see the reflection of the refiner in that pot of precious metal. And ultimately in this life, short as it is that we live, God is making us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son. And he uses, I'm not saying he causes suffering, but he uses suffering to do that in our lives. The good news of this passage, the, the hope of this passage is that we, when, our, when, when we come upon, upon trials and difficulties in our lives, in our relationships, they are not intended to send you the message, you are forsaken. They're intended to prove your faith. And God is the one that's behind any kind of uh, proving that's done. Ask God how he can redeem suffering in your life. That's a, good, that's a great question to ask. So, we're, so we, are, um, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that's protected for us in heaven, and in this life we are shielded by God's great power. Our salvation is ready, and our faith is being proven. And finally, as we walk in hope, we receive the end result of our faith in the now. The salvation of our souls that's coming in the future, we experience salvation playing itself in us now, working its way out in our lives now, as well as in the future. It's like it works its way backwards into your life. That's what those psychologists were stumbling upon in the quote I read earlier, that actually a a future hope can cause you to change your behaviors, to change your mind, to change your heart and and your perception of life um, and, and in a way, and, and on top of that regular way that God's created creation to work, that hope transforms us in the present, God's Holy Spirit applies the future salvation that we're going to have in Christ when we stand before him into our present-day circumstances and renews us in the present-day circumstances. So it's an already-not-yet scenario. We're already saved uh, through belief in Jesus Christ. Um, we're already uh, promised that everything will be made right through Jesus, and that works its way into our present-day reality where day by day as we walk through life, we are being saved. It's an interesting thing. Uh, The Bible talks about this idea of being saved. It also talks about the idea of just being saved. And so there's always action words and then more final statements in the Bible, and it's that we're already saved, but we're not yet. um, We're not yet where God, we're not yet refined and in the the image of Jesus that we are going to be someday. And we won't be fully there until we're face-to-face with Jesus. One of the most mysterious and interesting verses that I know is the one that says, By one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's that already not yet idea that we are being made holy, but we are already perfected in Christ. This is a mystery. It's like taking an anchor and throwing it into the end times when we are face-to-face with Jesus and we know him as we are fully known, and that anchor 
gives us something to pull on in our lives so that we move towards it. It's a, it's a hope that is an anchor for the soul. So there's a future salvation that we already get to apprehend. Uh, as we walk, it says in this passage in 1 Peter 9, uh, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you are receiving in the present the result of your faith, faith, the salvation of your souls. So our hope is living, our treasure is safe, our salvation is ready. We are each shielded by God. Suffering is not the message that God has forsaken us. This is the living hope of the good news of God. And that is a far cry from what we say in our common parlance of, you know, I hope it's not going to snow. I hope everything's going to be okay. Our hope in Jesus is sure. It's secure. It's the anchor for the soul. Hope from God for us. And then a ripple that we can give to someone else's life for them. So God's hope given to us, for us, so that it can then become from us to other people. We can ripple out the sure hope we have in Jesus Christ. I've decided that I'm going to try to look intelligent at the end of my sermon by pulling out a giant book. I don't even know what I'm going to read from it yet. This is the Bible Dictionary, and I just think you'd like to hear a little bit of what it says about the hope we have in Jesus. Think about the incarnation of Christ. Through the incarnation, hope has come to be a part of life, or at least its potential is at hand to be actualized. Think about that. Through God becoming a baby in Jesus, he's telling us a message that he is going to incarnate in us also and give us uh, the potential to be actualized. That's an amazing thing. Here's my favorite. What makes the content of biblical hope distinctive is that God meets us more than halfway. I like that. Quite aside from questions of the certainty of individual salvation, certainty of hope, is guaranteed he will meet us more than halfway. That's the hope of the gospel. The Bible talks about hope against hope, as in the case of Sarah, whose hope that God would give her a child contradicted the best of human expectations. She hoped against hope in God. Hope is a powerful force. From hope spring faith and love. When people lose hope, they often lose faith, and their heart grows cold. Let's let this passage from 1 Peter work its way into our lives. That you, you know, fundamentally, that God is with you and that God is for you. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Angels, demons, death? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There is a hope in the Bible that is so, so palpable in the words of Scripture if you really held on to that truth and held on to that hope, it would be an anchor for your soul that would transform your life. And then you would have the ability to ripple someone else's life and give them a hope. And people are often one word, one sentence, one phone call away from losing hope. And people in our church are losing hope. Silently sitting in their, in the, in their nice warm padded seats. Losing hope. People in our church have lost faith. People in our church, their love has grown cold. We need to encourage each other daily as long as we have life to live. 
that there's always hope in Jesus. And here's, here's a really great, uh, beautiful thing. The, the summary of this quote is that, it's from, it was from, from John Piper, and he said, the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ is that we could be in the deepest of despair, we could be, you know, on the edge, feeling like the, be, actually being the worst sinner, um, the most unfaithful possible. And the hope of the gospel is that that person can turn to Jesus, can turn to God, always. And they can be saved. They can change the entire trajectory of their life just by hoping in the truth of what God promises for them in the future, the living hope of Jesus Christ. That's why I say it's a living hope. Jesus is like custom, like those fancy cars that you sit in and they sense your movements and your body and they just cradle you. In our sin and our brokenness, God, the, the truth of the incarnation of the baby Jesus is that God will incarnate in our lives and he will adapt to our brokenness through his grace. But he won't leave us there. He'll begin to shape us into the image of Jesus. That's what he does. There's always hope. There's always hope. And if you have never come to know the living hope Jesus Christ, the message of this sermon is that now is a great time to do that. And if you have, have faltered in your faith, you've lost your faith, you've lost your love, come back to the hope and find your faith. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love.